1029 The Hog presents another Bob and Brian podcast. If you've forgotten the difference between watching a movie and experiencing one, you need to visit Marcus Theaters. Start by visiting MarcusTheaters.com. Time to talk music news, but he's so much more than just a music guy. He's our connection to the Hebrew faith. He's a Steeler fan, and they're both... Smack dab in front of us this morning. You grew up loving Franco Harris, right, Gary? Oh, absolutely. I remember uh, we were playing racquetball with our radio um, on in the corner the day of the Immaculate Reception because it wasn't on TV. What? Wait. Those were the days of the home game blackout if, when they when the games weren't sold out. And a lot of people don't know that that game, <laughs> even though it was the first playoff game in Pittsburgh and a decade uh, wasn't sold out. How was that game not sold no out? No kidding. Pittsburgh fans. You know, well, we had pit, the Steelers had been such a losing team. Yeah. Before. I mean, they, they make that there, that, that decade, 12 year stretch made the lion with has been going on with the lions look like uh, a feast. And <laughs> right. so there was, so I, I think, you know, even during that great 1972 season, there was still some skepticism. And, you know, people were people just weren't in. The culture wasn't established. You know, that culture, like you understand so well with the Packers, wasn't established yet in Pittsburgh. So the game didn't sell out, wasn't on TV. So a couple of 11-year-old kids were playing racquetball, 12-year-old kids were playing racquetball with the thing on in the corner. And I remember hearing Myron Cope, the play-by-play guy just shrieking about what was going on on the field and uh you know so as moments go that was a good one to it to have that was a playoff game right that was their first first, game right first first round of the playoffs and then they lost to miami in the afc championship usually when we uh can't believe it wasn't sold out have it unbelievable have a death in sports like franco harris when he went you know, you see it up on TV, and you're like, oh, my gosh, Franco Harris passed away. But Rock had it before it was even on ESPN. It was one of those you go, what? You know, yeah. into the microphone. You, I was stunned. Well, no, because there was no word. I mean, as recently as the week prior, he was doing interviews about the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. So there was no sense that any that this would happen. And, and they still haven't. And their plan is to retire, was to retire, maybe still is, to retire oh, yeah. his yeah. number tomorrow tomorrow night. Tomorrow right? night. Yeah, how is Franco's, the Steelers play. How is Franco's number still not retired 50 years later? That guy turned your franchise around. They, The Steelers are notoriously stingy about retiring numbers. Hmm. I think there's only, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's they're very stingy about it, and so this was, in his case, this was deemed the right time to do it. Do they have a a, a ring of honor, a ring of fame? They have the they they do have yeah they do they do have player names situated. They, it's the Hall of Fame players. Okay. Oh, you and, have to be a Hall of Famer to get your name in there. I I I think so. You know, I haven't. I don't know that much about the. Yeah. The current the current stadium. I grew up in the era of Three River Stadium. When I heard that they were going to do all this during the Raider game tomorrow night, I instantly said they are just going to rub the Raiders' nose in this forever. Aren't Absolutely. They? <laughs> Absolutely. That was that. It's still a uh, you know. It's funny. Even though they're in Las Vegas now, there are enough people in both organizations and fan bases 
that was that was a nasty, nasty. I mean, when you're when you're bringing in game balls that have insults, you know, against the, the against the Steelers, mm-hmm. you know, they would change the game ball, and the Steelers center is looking down at these game balls with all this profanity on it, and. <laughs> And yeah, we all know how sensitive it, offensive linemen are, too, Gary. Oh, yeah, they don't very, like to read that stuff. Very, right. Uh, the, the, the herbal tea sipping uh, <laughs> part right. of the football world. Now, that's so a nasty, nasty rivalry. So, you know, I, I think I think the game's in Vegas, well, for a lot of scheduling reasons, but also for the money part of it. And you can do a night game Christmas Eve from Vegas easier than you can from Pittsburgh, especially given the weather we're all experiencing this weekend. You know that was a, that was a good choice, but yeah, it'll. I think it's going to feel much more like a Pittsburgh game, Pitt, Pittsburgh home game, than a Raiders. Got to tell you, I was a I was a Raider fan back then. I I was like, I hate the Steelers. Well, the Packers weren't doing anything. Yeah, right. Does some of the yeah. air leak out of that rivalry because the uh, Raiders moved? Well, they've moved what three times since. Uh... Right. Yeah, a touch a touch of it, but it's. It's still remembered very well. They're remembered in Pittsburgh. They're treated more like the Raiders than Oakland, Los Angeles, or Las Vegas. Right. Yeah. All right. But how much you know? How much memory of that game is there in Las Vegas? That game. Well, that game and Franco in general. I mean, he was a guy not only a great player throughout his career, but a great off-field guy in the community during his playing days, after his playing days. Uh, stayed in the city, stayed true to the city, did did great works as a citizen. So he was, you know, he. There's a lot of reasons to mourn uh, this passing beyond the immaculate reception. Well, yeah. he's got a statue at the airport. I'm sure you saw it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it uh, and it gets more it gets more attention and photographs than the statue of I think it's either Lincoln or Washington that's right near it. <laughs> well, there's other statues as, of as those guys as it as it should. Yeah, he did more for Pittsburgh you know, I, than they did. I kind of agree yeah. with that one. Listen, I listen. I would, I would hope in Milwaukee that that a Bart Starr statue would get more attention than one of those guys. That statue was up in Green Bay in front of the Resch Center. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. sure, of course. Yeah, but yeah, it gets plenty of attention, and it should. It should get plenty of attention. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On to music news. What yeah. does Mariah Carey make every year for All I Want for Christmas? Because do you have a dollar amount? A lot of money, a lot of money on it. Well, it looks like in 2001, Billboard did this analysis where they broke down all the money and, and came out. So in 2000, this is just last year, of almost 1.8 million song consumption units. How's that for a term? Uh, that, that's everything, downloads, per- physical purchases, on-demand streams, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, you know, the, it made 1.36 million just from that type of stuff. Then there was publishing at $378,000. But this is all just in the United States. That's 51% of it. So the global estimate for this is $6.16 million just in one year. Annually. Annually. For all I want is Christmas is you, of which they think Mariah gets north of $2.5 million. On that side. Because she she was a songwriter which means she has royalty, she has publishing, she has performance royalty. So, yeah, north of $2.5 million. All right. Well, now, you... they, Mariah has, and Mariah and her accountant has, have not verified that number, but so this is, this is kind, of, kind of a breakdown of what is public record 
and and some of it is just estimation. Okay, let's say that for that one song, she does. Let's say that's the real number. We'll just call it two million, two and a half million to, to round it off. That's why it seems odd that Justin Bieber would be selling his whole library right now for two hundred million. Two hundred million plus. He, isn't that what old artists do? Not not somebody like Bieber. Is he retiring well, or something? Well, I would say, A, yes, I found this kind of an odd, too, when it came out, came about that it looks like um, he's, they're saying he's nearing a deal with uh, Hip Kenosis Songs Capital. This is one of the names we've talked about a lot. They're one of the really aggressive players in the, in the song catalog ownership uh, market. But, you know, this is, there are a lot more younger artists who have been selling their catalogs like this, and this is, this is basically Bieber deciding to take the take the cash payment rather than the annuity. If you win the lottery, it's like somebody will pay me two hundred million dollars right now for my for my catalog. I am a potentially ephemeral pop star who makes crappy music that people <laughs> might not that people might not remember <laughs> that... in you know in years to come. Somebody wants to give me $200 million for it now. This does not preclude him from making more music. This is his catalog to date. Right. So, and even going forward, he still controls, right? Maybe. We haven't seen all the terms of this. Um, and, and we don't know what this deal is, too. There are so many different types of deals that the, that the artists are making. In some, they still have some profit sharing. They still have some degree of control. In others, you know, they're just selling selling everything and walking away from it. So we don't know what his deal is. But, yeah, he's basically making a decision. And I, I think if you are one of these ephemeral pop stars working in a market that's not built to create music that is remembered decade after decade, like Dylan or Springsteen or Pink Floyd or Sting or all those other people we see selling – you know, maybe you you do pull the trigger, you cash in right now while the money's in front of you, and and then go forward. I just think he may have seller's remorse, you know, 10, 20 years from now when he sees what other artists are selling their catalogs for down the road. And that's possible, or he'll listen to his own music and decide, you know what, I made a good decision here. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that how much... I don't know how many Justin Bieber songs are going to be in the conversation with Bob Dylan and the Beatles and, and all these other great catalogs five years from now, much, much less. Well, we know on New know, Year's Eve 50. that Miley Cyrus will be sharing the screen with Dolly Parton. but not, Right, as a co-host. Right, but who else is going to be there? Yeah, so they did, they did announce the talent lineup here for Miley Cyrus's New Year's Eve show, which will be live streaming on, on Peacock. Not a lot for the rock and roll fans, and it really mostly focuses on young uh, talent. Lato, who's a rapper, Sia, uh, Fletcher, who's a singer-songwriter, uh, rock band, a young rock band from Los Angeles called Lily, uh, Race from Mood will be on there, Chloe Feynman from Saturday Night Live, Sarah Sherman, uh, the Please Don't Destroy Comedy Group. Those will all be part of uh, Miley Cyrus's New Year's Eve live streaming on Peacock. So I don't know. I, I don't know that that's going to. I, do you I, I watch think those? Actually, do you ever watch the New yeah, Year's Eve shows? If if we're home, you know, bounce around. I happened to be watching CNN last year when you know the drunken Andy Cohen journey rants, <laughs> uh, which was which was great. 
You know, we actually, I actually went right to work after that one because that was a fun breaking news story. So I may, I may, if we're home or we're anywhere watching with friends, may pop by CNN because they did right after, right after that, if you remember, they did say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep the bar closed for Andy. What's I mean, the... those guys, if I, if I remember right, they were drinking on screen. Oh yeah. That doesn't sound uh, beyond yeah. the pale, huh? Does it? No. What's no. the what's the James Bond deal? So this is a long time legend that Paul McCartney was hired to write the theme for uh, um, "Live and Let Die." Yeah, and as we all know, it became a big hit, a signature song, and everything. But then part of the legend became that Paul, that they wanted somebody else to sing it. That the producers then, you know, they took this recording that. Paul McCartney and George Martin had sent to them and said, okay, great, we love this song, who's going to sing it? And, you know, George Martin has always said, and either, you can find, find these recorded interviews online, you know, uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, so, and, and then even in this recent, this James Bond music documentary that came out for the 50th anniversary this year, the current producers were talking about that, that, yeah, the guy's back in 1973, 72, 73, when they were making it. Yeah, they said, okay, we're going to, Paul wrote us a great song, who are we going to get to sing it? But the authors of this really good new Paul McCartney uh, book slash bench pressing device uh, that, that just came out found documents, found a contract that counters that legend that says, no, Paul, Paul was, a, was absolutely signed to write and to record, and that the intention was always for it to be a Paul McCartney recording. Um, and the guys do, these authors do take Paul to task, too. You know, they just say, look, Paul, when Paul gets a good story, he runs with it, no matter if it's true or not. <laughs> and uh, so, so they're, they're debunking it. But like I say, as recently as, as that documentary that just came out in September, you know, it, it seemed like it was gospel, but it looks like it it traces back to George Martin, the producer, being the one to first talk about it. And then, you know, and then it just became kind of an urban legend, now apparently a myth. I watched uh, If These Walls Could Sing, the Abbey Road thing, uh-huh. which Stella McCartney did. Yep. Uh, no, Mary McCartney. Mary McCartney, excuse me. And uh, Paul's a big part of it. I mean, he's he's oh, yeah. her dad. So, But there's plenty well, of other yeah. guys. Um, I was kind of surprised at all the stuff that wasn't in there. I mean, because they have had so many artists go through there. Yeah, and a lot of that is about licensing. A lot of that is about artist availability, you know, performer availability. And, you know, this was def- I, it's definitely a, the story of Abbey Road Studios through the Beatles' perspective because it's Mary McCartney's experience with Abbey Road because Paul and, of course, Ringo uh, were such a part of it and a lot of the engineers that you saw in there had been part of the Beatles McCartney Ringo, you know, camp. So it definitely had a Beatles filter to it. I like what and they I said about, if... was it studio one? Was that the one they, they worked out of the big studio yeah, that was, where they said, that was... we don't even paint it because it's, a, we're afraid it will change the sound in the room. Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I remember even just standing outside the, on the sidewalk and you feel, you feel the vibration coming from that place. And that was just, it was converted to a studio. It was a, what was it, a, an apartment house before that or something? In yeah, the, yeah, it was like, I think, and I think it was like one of those government-controlled yeah. places, too. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it was luxury 
or anything. I mean, it's a nice part of town now. So, but that happens when you when you build a place like that. This used to be a house. Yeah, this this place right here where we where we're sitting. But that <laughs> was like has a yeah. different vibe though than. Uh, but how long ago was that that this was a house? It had to be eighty years ago. It's been a radio station forever. When did radio start up? The fifties. Um, I was going to say seventy-two, but seven. you might be right. Seven fifties, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, even earlier, even earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there yeah. actually is to go a little radio geek. There is a history of residential, you know, of houses being turned into broad, especially radio broadcast facilities. You know, there there yeah. are there were ownership groups that wanted wanted their places to be in the in the community. They wanted people to be able to drive by on a daily basis. Really? See their see their local radio station. They thought that was the best advertising. Hmm. And the best way the best way to weave the radio station into into the community. So that that was that was very much a deliberate thing. Here in the US, you're talking about yeah. American yeah. history. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, we have them we have them around the Detroit area. There were quite a few. A lot of them have moved and changed sure. over the years, but for a, you know, especially during the <laughs> 60s, 70s, even into the 80s and 90s, the, these were converted houses. Well, even Motown in Detroit, that looks like it was a house to start with, wasn't it? No, no, it did. It was where Barry Gordy lived. Yes. He lived upstairs. Yeah. They made music downstairs and then he bought like nine houses on the block. Yeah, and that was, and then three across the street, and that was the Motown but when Empire. You, when you when you look at those old pictures of the the headquarters, it's the 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 building has a front porch on it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's got stairs that go up. Motown was in in a house in a house when it started. Yeah, like Carmex. Yes, in Franklin. Yeah, he was making <laughs> that okay. stuff out of his garage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, they 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 used to toss footballs back and forth, baseball on the front lawn at Motown. You know, somebody. Somebody would be in there recording, you know, get ready or, you know, some iconic hit. And, you know, a few other people were throwing a football. Sure. All right. Where and do you want... there, those, those buildings are all still there. Where do you want to finish this week, Gary? Because we're getting late. We'll do, yeah, we'll do a quick run through uh, what was unfortunately a sad week in terms of deaths. Uh, Shirley Watts, drummer of Charlie Watts, died a little over a year after him. She was 84. Uh, Terry Hall, frontman of the specials, also co-wrote the Gilgo's first hit, Our, Our Lips Are Sealed, passed away at 63. Rick Anderson, who was the bassist for the Tubes, passed away at 75. Uh, Martin Duffy, who was the keyboardist with the band Primal Scream, died at 55. Charlie Gracie, very early rocker, many may not have heard of, uh, best known for his hit Butterfly, died at 86. And just overnight, Tom Bell, the very famous producer, that's Tom, T-H-O-M, Bell, a very famous producer and writer for Philly Soul, uh, did a lot of those you know great hits with the Delphonics and the Stylistics and the OJs uh, recorded with Elton John and others. He passed away at the age of eighty nine. So I don't know why, all, but all the all Delphonics were always uh, just that name. When I hear it, I think that is a great name for a band. The Delphonics. It just sounds and, and, so period correct. Oh, and very fifties. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and a great group. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you know, uh, it's always sad, you know, to report that kind of stuff. Even sadder on a holiday week. But you know, there's, as we've said many times, there's more and more of this uh, the older we get. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, how are you going to spend Hanukkah? How are you spending um, yeah, Hanukkah? Well, today, I should say today. Today's day five. So we've you know, done a few good things, eating our share of potato latkes. Um, <laughs> potato, potato, 
potato pancakes, and then we're spending the Christmas weekend in Ohio visiting family. Do you have a store-bought menorah, or do you make your own? I um, I have one that's been handed down okay. through the family. So for all I know, it was forged in the fires of some shtetl in uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, I, da- I doubt I doubt it, but it's a good, but I'll go with it. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been in the family for God, um, excellent. It may be seven going going on seventy odd years now. That's all right. awesome. All well, right, Gary, enjoy uh, the holidays. Right. Yeah. yeah, you guys too. Have a good time. Behave or behave a little. All right. All right. Stay warm. Stay warm uh, while you're out on the road. You're in Ohio today, right? We're in Ohio, and it's uh, minus nine here. All right. Yeah, it's almost the same here. Yeah. All right. Gary, we'll talk to you after the holidays. Take care. Gary Graff, our music guy.